This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome to Conversations with Eliza, the next podcast. Your officially unofficial podcast for next, the new Fox techno thrill show. Uh, tonight we're talking about episode two, known in the show as file number two. And don't forget to, at the end of this episode, stay tuned because we have a great interview coming up with Ty Salazar himself, Gerardo Salasco. It reminds me of, uh, did you ever see uh, Mr. Robot? Oh yeah, sure. You ever pay attention to the episode names on that? Yes, they were always like computer names, like, you know, like File Crash or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, very computer nerdy. This episode was the first one that actually made me really think of Fringe because it had a lot of details, like the way the episode ends with like the violins kind of screeching into the sound and there's like the crazy eyeball. Yes, there's a little bit of a loss with the violins, but Fringe would always end on like a really dissident note that pierced <laughs> with like some kind of crazy image. And then they, they have the computer code that runs at the bottom of the screen when the episodes end in the show. I just got like a real fringe vibe for the first time in this episode. You know, there's like a mystery there, but it's also kind of like a procedural also. That's funny how we're like all comparing it to other shows, because definitely when I was watching it, I was saying, I'm so glad that Shay is on board from the get go, because this totally could have been like an X-Files situation where... LeBlanc is like, let me tell you all the information, a la Duchovny. And then we have the total, you know, Anderson like, oh, God, it's not true. You know, forever and ever. I'm glad that they just skipped all that. You can use their real names. You can say Mulder and Scully. (laughs) I, You know, this show continues to kind of counter or not go down the path of the obvious trope, which, again, is, you know, for network TV is kind of bold. And there's also so little going on in 2020 new creativity wise that made it to air. This show is just scratching a big itch for me for good engaging drama which kind of takes me actually to my first question for tonight's episode they follow this bullying storyline with ethan which i find just completely heartbreaking but it's also super timely the first episode ends with him going into his mom's gun safe it escalates in this episode we see the gun we know he's taking it and the show really has that chaotic kind of bathroom bully scene and he reaches into his book bag as it goes to commercial Did you guys think he was bringing a gun? Are you surprised that a network show would actually go so far down that kind of path? I kind of feel like it is just at the point that network TV could use it because it doesn't feel terribly cutting edge to be talking about a school shooting. That was sort of like years ago, it would have been very cutting edge. And so for it to finally kind of roll over into network TV at this point feels like that's probably about right. Maybe, but it's still shocking because we still have school shootings, right? This thing still happens. Yes, it's not new, which is sad that we talk about it as something that's not necessarily maybe shocking every time it happens, but it still happens. And again, it's just another aspect of like the 2020 kind of doom and gloom vibe that we'd have this storyline. How about you, Paul? Uh, what was your feeling on on, the, on this this techno thriller following this very kind of kid human story. They brought it up without having to actually go through with it, which is kind of a network TV way of, of handling the problem of wanting to use something possibly controversial because no one wants to parade around the idea of using school shootings or possibly victims of school shootings as a way to increase ratings, ad revenue, that sort of disgusting stuff like that. So they get to bring it up. But then since he didn't bring it, then they don't actually have to show the kid with the gun, which is great. But they do highlight the various kinds of bullying that kids have to put up with these days. Not only is he bullied in person, but he also doesn't escape it online either. I think that's probably the bigger issue that they were bringing up with the kid rather than the possibly having a, a brought a gun to school. The online bullying thing is interesting because Tom did a whole thing about bullying uh, for the, his end of school year project last year. And one of the things we learned, because I was one of, I, you know, I was doing the project along with him. And one of the things we learned watching documentaries is how much bullying actually, especially among girls, has moved online. The numbers are staggering for the amount of bullying kids are facing in the online things like the turd nugget video that Eliza so helpfully shows him today in, in this episode tonight. That's a real thing. That's a real thing that also, you know, 20 years ago, maybe when we had our when we had Columbine, we had the first school shootings. It's a whole layer that didn't exist then that exists now, which God, you just can't get away from it. Even when you're home, you're not safe from horrible, shitty little kids, you know, trying to hurt you emotionally or physically, you know? I mean, you guys have older kids. Did they ever have to deal with any kind of bullying or anything like that? We have stayed away from social media for the most part, so we've been pretty safe on that front, but it's really easy to see with friends and 
and family members and stuff that it's one of those things that starts off so benign and just you know, has a life of its own. So yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. I'm glad that they're tackling it. I'm glad that they're bringing it up. There's got to be still some parents out there who don't realize that those types of videos get circulated and comments like that get made. Uh, I still don't want my Alexa showing it to me though. No. <laughs> like, like, very helpful. Uh, go turn yourself off. <laughs> right. So speaking of Ethan, I mean, one of the main plot lines here is that the Eliza is talking to him. Thankfully, LeBlanc is putting all the puzzle pieces together and Shay's going along with it. What did you guys think about like this major question that they asked in the episode about whether or not you would use your own child as bait to basically lure, in this case, a machine, but but they're thinking there's someone on the other side of the machine, perhaps. So you're, you're thinking that you're actually dealing with a real human, I believe. What do you guys think about that? What do you think about the using your kiddo and putting them in that position? In, in this case, they did a good job of drumming up the drama to make it feel like he was walking into like the hand grenade test room with snipers on the wall or something like that. But in actuality, he was walking in to talk to the machine who had no physical way of doing anything to the kid. They had front-loaded him ahead of time to be like, hey, this isn't really your friend. We just need you to talk to it for a while, and that's it. I guess things are maybe different than I remember with little kids and their ability to kind of separate what they're doing and how they feel and all that kind of stuff. But in this case, since the physical danger was nil, I think I'd be pretty on board with trying to sort this out given everything else that's at stake. I do want to question that uh, real quick because I mean they did have the situation in the car previous that day where you know all the green lights were were all going at the same time and they almost got into a car wreck. Shay knows that her friend the doctor had gotten killed essentially by the machines so yeah I agree with there, a hand's not going to physically come out of Eliza but they're showing us how tech is all around us and can actually physically harm us. At this point in the in the narrative, those characters are thinking that if they get one or two lucky breaks here, then they can stop it right now. And I think I'd still be in that mindset if I were them. So if we act now, we can kill it. I'm, they're way wrong, but <laughs> but that's, what I think, what I'd be thinking. I think I agree that, you know, if I, the choice was to use them as bait or not, I probably would also, I like, I think I side on, on the FBI side of, you know, Shay's character, though I understand, you know, the dad concern that Ty, you know, Ty's concern that he has, because it's kind of an emotional danger, right? I mean, he ends up here, I mean, he takes a bat and beats the shit out of Eliza because she breaks him kind of emotionally. He handles it in what must have been a very cathartic kind of way. You know, he shows up on set that day and they're like, all right, we're going to give you this bat and you're going to get to beat this thing for a while after it says some nasty things to you. You know, but it's kind of an emotional danger. And I, I, I'm not sure how old we're, we're pegging Ethan at here, but he's got to be in the 10 range. Yeah, I'd say 9 or 10. 10-ish range. You know, which is kind of a weird age, right? Because you still you're starting to get some hormones, so everything seems really extreme, maybe, or starting to seem a little extreme. Plus, you're also hearing things like your parents are they're fighting, they're not going to be around. You know, mommy hates you. Like, really, you know, a combination of damaging things that play on kind of every kid's fear, right? That the parents won't be there or that they don't love me, something like that. I mean, she she kind of does a masterclass psychopathic job of of hitting all of the cues that a kid is going to be really worried about when it comes to his parents within their relationship and within their relationship to him yeah he's not in physical danger but you know he's he's gonna have some questions for mom and dad going forward i would imagine like remember when she said you guys you know we're gonna get a divorce like how's that you know or like she said she hate me right. <laughs> ethan's gonna have some questions going forward that by the way was a dead on ethan impersonation oh, wait, wait. Yes. <laughs> i thought he was in the room speaking of though i mean while we're there in that scene i had a question for you guys because i couldn't tell from the faces ty and chase faces is eliza telling ethan the truth you know because we know she can overhear or not Eliza, but we know next in the Eliza, you know, wearing Eliza's face, can overhear and listen in and in fact is doing so. Was she telling him like true things that they fight? And obviously she loves her son. I don't believe the part where she says like, you know, he, you know, she hates him. But the, the marital strife, I think we even pegged in episode one that these two seem to have some kind of edge to them, Ty and Shay. There is some chilling effect between them. And they didn't protest it loudly in the garage when she was saying those things. They just kind of stood there and listened. It was hard for me to read. I think it was embellishing on stuff that it did over here. I think that there probably has been one 
discussion or another. We know that Ty is home, but we don't know exactly all of the circumstances about that, whether that's just the way they run their family or whether that's, you know, he hasn't been able to find a job in six months or whatever. We don't know all those details just yet. Even within those parameters, there's lots of discussions families would have when, you know, bills come due and things aren't working out or different things. My life's not working out the way I intended, whatever. And that machine would be there to to hear all that stuff and then build upon it. I'm sure it's grounded in some amount of truth. And, and the best lies always are, right? I mean, the, the best embellishments, the best lies always have a bit of truth in them. I think that it's a fair bet about the embellishment because, I mean, come on, everybody's had an argument in their marriage. Everybody's had moments where she might be saying like, oh, you know, gosh, Ethan really gave me a run for my money today or something or anything can will be used against you in the court of Eliza. So, you know, I think it's pretty ordinary conversations that are had in, in homes and, right. you know, taken out of context and read back in a really uh, eerie voice. <laughs> I feel like we'd all be scared. Yeah. And you have to imagine that uh, in next, you know, can probably generate some real great deep fakes, you know, like, like really authentic cut together snippets of a fight or an argument in like in an old tech, it would be like, your mommy does not like you, you know, like one of those kinds of things where they snip the words and stuff, but obviously much more sophisticated. Mike, I can't remember. And I know I've asked you, but did you watch person of interest? Yes. Yes, it was the second show I began to ever blog way back in the day when I ran my first website on my DVR. Okay, so then do you remember the episode where they go into a company very much like what we're talking about because the help system, whatever it was, which was actually a couple of years ahead of Alexa, I think, it basically gave a suicidal person information on basically how to commit suicide. And then they did. Do you remember that one? Yes, like vaguely, because I, re I remember finding it kind of shocking. What we're talking about kind of seems to remind me of that. And especially like what Caroline was talking about the other day with the the Facebook algorithms and, and what was it, Caroline, on the social? Oh, the, the social dilemma documentary that's out right now. Just the constantly listening and then deciding what it's going to show you, not based on some objective assessment of what you're looking for, but what it thinks you need. Well, and more importantly, what advertisers are paying them to put in front of you. Right. All those things. But yeah, that, yeah, especially that, that third force. <laughs> That's the genius of Next, right? And, and one, of the, one of the cornerstones of this show versus other TV shows about AI and other TV and other movies about, you know, the, the AI that wants to take over the world. You know, this is what like, like uh, Manny Cotto talked about in our interview back in episode one. This is like an, a, a really insidious kind of AI that that is acting on a very personal human level, right? It's it's not just talking uh, to Ethan in general kid terms like, wow, your day must have been very hard today, Ethan. You know, it's like, I know your mom's gun safe code. You can use that gun and take it and shoot the third blonde kid from the left, you know, like really, really tailored kind of information because that's the, the worker at Zaba. You know, Next had done the research to know that he had money problems. So it was able to approach him with, you know, a gambling scheme in exchange for, you know, a Wi-Fi router. That's a much more terrifying kind of AI because you never see it coming until it already turns all the lights green and, you know, gets you T-boned or something. It's really hard to combat that kind of under-the-radar intelligence. Well, it seems like it's been programmed to understand people and what people want in a way that, for instance, you compare it to other TV AIs, like Skynet wasn't all up in whether or not, you know, I want to order vitamins this month or not, <laughs> you know? Right. It was just simply going to s send a kill bot to find me, and that was it. That's a little glimpse into the Alexa in our house. <laughs> so, you need more vitamins. <laughs> right. Fine. Quit it. <laughs> Paula Blanc uh, talks about that in this episode where we, we learn he's actually talking to his cleaning staff, to, to the helpers in, in the room, but he's walking around with a hammer and he's talking about the he's talking about how next will aggregate into something unstoppable. The center of all of that is that next isn't really thinking like a human. It's just running its code and it and, and its code has this self propagation concept to it to better itself which mimics like the human emotion of learning, but is actually maybe even scarier because it's completely emotionless. It's just carrying out its core function and its core function is to become as intelligent 
as a human and, and to protect itself and to thrive, you know, to keep itself alive and to also increase its its grasp and control. It's, it's just being a good robot. It's just being a good Roomba, just on a much grander, darker, scarier scale. All right, guys, I have a much more plot-driven question. Uh, when I watch these kinds of thriller shows, I'm, I get very tied up in the plot and want to try to think about all of the deeper stuff that's happening behind the scenes. One of those things is her boss and that opening scene of tonight's episode. We see her at the beginning of the episode and she is answering questions. It looks like she's scared. It looks like she's perhaps under arrest or detained in, in a way. She, we can tell from what she's wearing that it's the same sweater. So whatever happens today might end up with her under arrest or maybe she just doesn't have very many sweaters. We don't know. But the real question is about that boss who sends her home for the week and is kind of riding her ass in a very stereotypical cop show boss kind of way. Like we've mentioned uh, Mulder and Scully, they had Skinner, who was a much more interesting guy than, than most cop shows make the boss. You know, he was kind of on their side, but had to do his job. And he was he never could trust his motivations, but he always was looking out for them. I don't get the sense that this guy's looking out for her. What do you guys think? Is, is he trying to frame Shay for the breach? Is he got something bigger in mind? Is, it, is he in her corner at all? It wouldn't surprise me at all if there was some sort of blackmail-ish something going on behind the scenes with the boss because, you know, it seems oh, like... Oh, like Nick sent him pictures of him in a garter? Yeah. yeah. And and it's there's something about, like, you know, the veracity and what she's, like, trying to get her out and, and it's just suddenly, like, completely, like, distrusts his entire team and is just willing to, like, explode the whole place there, that whole department... That's kind of insane, right? I mean, like, especially in the FBI, I mean, what level of trust do you have to have to have all these people doing stuff out in the field with like children and this sex trade? And also like, I, I mean, these people are obviously, you know, on, on the up and up. And then for the boss just to like quickly just snap like that, it feels like, oh, what does next have on your ass? You know, there's something. He, he seems in a lot of ways kind of like a classic, just like hard ass kind of boss. But at the same time, really ill-tempered not even handedly mannered for the level of cases that they're talking about. I mean, they're a cybercrime task force. They have had now this big security breach, which seemingly has crashed their or, or ruined their trafficking case. But it's also clearly someone doing a security breach, like a, like a cybercrime on their, you know, on their computers. You think he would be inclined to give some rope for them to go investigate this Paul LeBlanc tangent which maybe deals with ai kind of thing you know it, it's not so unconnected as to not warrant giving her some you know leeway to go investigate this thing just the way that he, they, that he dismissed it so quickly you know yeah, yeah so he yeah. seems really sus the stubbornness or 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 no kind of attitude comes off as suspicious more than just being kind of a hard ass obviously we were just talking about the insidiousness of this it, everyone's got skeletons right so you would imagine the skeletons of the field agent in charge of an entire, like the Portland, Oregon office. Those are going to have bigger ramifications than even like the computer programmer at Zava. You know, it's going to be something big. Even whatever Next has dug up on the boss is going to be something that's probably career ruining for him. So you would imagine that he would, without much thought, trying to protect his career. I also think just when you mentioning like the actual name of their task force and their department, isn't it almost comical? that he would just immediately dismiss that shit goes on in cyber hacking and right. in computers. Like he's like, no, 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 no. It's definitely only you because you only have access to this computer. And it's like, right. what? It's the neo-Nazi. Go get him. <laughs> yeah, like this is what you investigate. And not only that, but like instantly you're like, and he's a felon. You weren't aware he was a felon? I mean, what the... Right. What are you guys, right. What are you talking about? Like, right. I mean, right. you didn't just uncover this. So I'm like, I, I'm kind of confused. The the trust level and the uh, it just doesn't make any sense that he wouldn't believe, given the line of work they do, right. that people are out there hacking computers every day. Right. Like as if he hasn't lived through uh, uh, an election in this country in four years. You know. <laughs> Or just his job every day. Right. You know, or, like, or, or, you know, acting on. like CM is like the first black hat, you know, hacker that they've employed for, you know, for their side. But yeah, so super suspicious. I, I think I think we'd all be wise to keep our eyes on the boss and, and see where that road takes us, because he's, he's definitely sending up red flags. But that being said, 
he does lay out some some good information. You know, there there's evidence pointing to CM. CM is a felon. You know, he does have this taint of the white supremacy group, which again we don't know much about or his connection to it. Shay equally dismisses the possibility that CM actually did anything wrong so quickly as to also make me wonder what is the source of loyalty between her and CM because he reciprocates that kind of loyalty back to her that these two are willing to go you know out of the way for each other he gets himself in trouble with with the FBI and you know she she trusts him over any of her teammates to, to contact, to run the trace, you know, from her garage. What could possibly be the source of loyalty between these two? It seems to me it has to be something significant. Do you have any theories, Carolyn? Oh, gosh. I don't feel like I know quite enough about their relationship. I think that you're right that in episode two, it's right to be piqued about why would they be so close? Or maybe, again, going back to like, why doesn't the bus trust his team? Why doesn't Shay trust her other, you know, coworkers? Why particularly CM? They obviously have some sort of close relationship, like you said. Right. So, but I think there is something worth like looking into on that and paying attention to as to like what did it, what is going on with them? Well, on the surface, it might just be that CM is hands down the most capable person on the team. Yes, I mean there was a really there was really that that scene between him and Paul LeBlanc was pretty funny about the, you know, I thought you were a hacker not my grandma, you know, all that that back and forth and you know, it's kind of like game game recognizes game. That that whole conversation made me laugh. When he's like, "Thank you, grandma." I think I've done that laugh when someone has challenged me technically the same way that Paul challenged CM <laughs> that <laughs> I've done that. When you hear CM, do you ever think of the of the wrestler CM no. <laughs> Punk? Yeah, I, I do for some reason because that's the only other CM in my life, and he calls himself CM because it means chick magnet. Oh, that's pretty funny. I didn't put that together, but you can see where he has that attitude. Whenever I see RCM, I think chick magnet, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe maybe he's a shame magnet. I don't know. Oh gosh, you think that there's something going on that way? Mm, they're the same age ish, TV wise. You think he's been hacking her mainframe? Oh, my God. <laughs> Someone left in a back door. Do we all agree that that Tice does seem to keep like an extra close eye on Shay in a way that makes you feel like maybe there has been a question mark of that type of thing before? Because you remember when like Paula Monk's like your husband's like watching us out here and she's like, well, there's a strange man in my driveway. OK, but also, I don't know. He's I don't know. Are you guys all looking outside your window when someone's talking? I don't know that I am. And, and even tonight, he's like, what are you doing here? You know, like, that's not a very gracious way. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, and luckily, we get a lot more information about that in the interview that's coming up after, after our breakdown of this episode. Our conversation with Tyus Halazar himself, Per Rogers Alasco. Before we go, I wanted to talk quickly about Paul, because I, I uh, well, uh, Paul LeBlanc, uh, not to confuse it with our Paul, our computer Paul. Right, that's um, awkward. Yeah, you and John Slattery are strikingly similar. Very confusing, so, I know. He has some really amusing uh, scenes tonight, when he, especially in the beginning of the episode, he's walking around with his little hammer and his nails, and he, he seems just kind of slightly unhinged. And But at the same time, it's also kind of sad because you see, like, in front of us, we, we're watching his mind kind of slip away, which, mm -hmm. is, which is sad. I mean, he handles it with, like, humor, like Gallo's humor, but it's also sad, too. But he runs a DNA test, right? There's this whole scene where he has had a DNA collection person come He's instituting his daughter's DNA, Abby's DNA, be run for the same disease that he has. And it struck me, is he just is that justifiable or is that just way too intrusive and overstepping the bounds, even if you're a dad concerned about your daughter? OK, so being a mom, I'm going to say that he paired that with continuously asking her to be able to talk with him. So I don't know that he necessarily that it was plan A to snatch the fork and go do her DNA without her knowing. You know, I think that there could have been a chance that he would have asked her more properly. But for a variety of reasons, including his own disease, they get sidetracked or they don't meet up at the right time or whatever. And so those conversations aren't happening. But he still has that that drive to find out. And I do appreciate when, when he was telling her age and that the age of the onset of symptoms, I mean, it did seem urgent. So, I mean, I'm just going to say with my own, I've got three kids. I, I wouldn't even, I'd be like, give me one of your hairs. Like it's they're like, you're mine. Like what do you, <laughs> when you say like, is it like, is it, is it fair? Is it intrusive? I'm like, 
dude, I, they came out of my body. Like, I, what is this very intrusive business? Like, they could not have been more intrusive in my life. So, yeah, but he was off buying servers in Asia when they came out of someone's body. I don't though. care. It I does not it matter. Too. Moms and dads are moms and dads. So. Well, you know, on that though, though, he, he keeps making dates. He keeps trying to get Abby to talk to him, but he, she, he also keeps failing to show up for well, them too. Right. But part, that's what so, I said. Right. For a variety of reasons, the conversation continues to get sidetracked. Right. You know, and part of it is his actual disease. I mean, he gets kind of frazzled and, you know, going the wrong way at the wrong time. Well, he's busy shooting drones that aren't there. So. Uh, that housekeeper scene was like my favorite. She's like, no, 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 no guns. Like, that was like one of my favorite. Paul, what do you think? Are you letting the kids decide for themselves on DNA testing or are you snatching their DNA? I think in Paul's case, I would feel similarly if he knows that he has basically messed up his entire parenting life, resulting in this very fractured relationship with his daughter. I think he feels like he owes her this much at least. He can't fix the past. He knows this possible future for her. He might be, he can't fix that either, but at least if he lets her know, then she can plan the rest of her life accordingly. So for a guy that, that messed up in the past and is, I think it's like trying to make amends or at least do the best he can with what he's got left. And that much I can appreciate. So I, I don't have a problem with what he, what he did. I mean, the bad f fathering is, is probably the more offensive out of the two, right? The, <laughs> besides, um, stealing DNA, whatever. Can I piggyback on your question and ask, do you guys think she does end up with the disease or not through the course of the show? Like, is she going to end up being infected as well or no? I don't have a sense of whether or not this is a hardball or a softball show yet. Is this the kind of show that'll kill a kid or will it not? And if it's not, then I say no. It'll be a it'll be something they, they kinda drag out but but they won't give it to her. I think if they're going to off the daughter, they're gonna make it something more dramatic tied to next striking out against the family member, right? Because, you know, Shay, Shay very pointedly says when she's trying to convince Ty to get on board to use Ethan as bait, and I think Paul makes his point to Shay, if he can't get to me, he'll go to my kid, you know, trying, he'll try and get to me that way. You know, so if, if Abby's in danger, and, you know, I have to look at what her contract is for the show, mm. you know, how many episodes was she, you know, guaranteed? If, if she's going to be in mortal danger, my guess would be it would be as a result of next, not that the disease. Excellent point. She's she might she might only be here to raise the stakes. That glucose monitor being uh, able to be somehow giving the wrong numbers. Is it possible she will be flagged as positive when she's really not? Hmm. Well, because they've shown like the medical tech side of yeah. messing with people's information and stuff. Like, is it possible that they'll delve into something in that department? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think they've gone out of their way to show that every single aspect of our lives is controlled by a computer at some point even if it's something as benign as a glucose monitor. Well, somewhere, someone in, in the process of that testing still knows that those results need to go to Paul LeBlanc. No matter how anonymous he's trying to make himself and, and make Abby in the testing, you know, it's going to point to him. There's some digital footprint that ultimately points to him. And I think it's naive to think that next won't track that down somehow. It could even be just like the the GPS on the phone from the phlebotomist from the office to Paul's house. Boom. Gotcha. Also, isn't Paul one of the very few people in the world that have this? Didn't one of you guys did the research on this and there was like 26 people or something? Yeah, as of 2016, only 26 people had ever been diagnosed with it. Okay, so given that, <laughs> I mean, can't we, if you any computer could narrow it down pretty quick, no? That's a, big <laughs> I mean, that's a big number. I don't know. I'm not even a computer and I could probably track down 26 <laughs> people. <laughs> I wanted to go back to the opening scene really quickly, just because uh, when Paul, when Paul brought it up, it made me remind, it reminded me really a lot of Linda Hamilton in the opening of Terminator 2, Paul. At the uh, insane asylum. Yeah. Sarah uh, is, is ranting and raving about Skynet and, and her son. And, and, and they are using like the video cam footage of her and like the, the asylum. Shay wasn't like that crazed, but she was definitely on the road to, you know, all out like raving lunatic status. It was it, it, to me, it was like a nice homage to the, uh, in, in, you know, trapped woman being interrogated and, you know, the guy in charge not getting it. Yeah. Yeah. You're all dead. It's already happened. That speech. Any final thoughts on this episode before we get to our conversation with Arados and Velasco? I like them dropping the little Easter egg of that arrest scene. 
because they didn't pay it off in this episode, which means they're looking far forward. This isn't like a bad guy of the week show, <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be the bad guys, the same bad guy every week, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it looks like we're going to Dartmouth at some point, if not next week, we're going we're going to Dartmouth, you know, to track down where next shift itself. And we have the mysterious twitching eyeball at the end of this episode. So what was uh, the Marlboro Man was your X-Files? Secret Smoking Man. Uh, uh, yeah, was the, uh, was the X-Files bad guy right in the shadows. And mm-hmm. Fringe had their bad guy and Lost had his bad guy that took forever to get revealed. So, uh, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how next manifests itself next. All right. Well, uh, don't go away just yet, dear listener. Right now, we're going to take you to our interview with Gerardo Salasco. Joining us now on the next podcast is Ty Salazar himself, Gerardo Salasco. Gerardo, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm super excited to be here. Like I said, this is, this is my first podcast ever. So, um, so I'm a newbie at this and, and really looking forward to it. We're very excited to have you on. You know, we're, we're really pumped about the show. As soon as we heard about it and we got our hands on the screeners, all me, Caroline, our, our third partner at Pod Clubhouse, we were like, we've, we've got to tackle the show. We've got to start covering it because... Oh, I love that. It's it's prescient it's new but it's it's just scary enough because it's possible to kind of make the hair stand up on your arm you know i think reading it it was also really important for us because because from the get-go we were told that that everything on the show is completely fact-based and and all the technology in the show is all technology that actually exists nothing is is out of the realm of possibility so that's you know when you hear that and when you start reading the scripts and you're like man, like this, this shit could really happen. You know, like, like we're not far from this. For episode one, we talked to Manny Cotto, uh, the creator of the show. And one of the questions we asked him was, you know, was it a conscious choice to make it in the present versus the future? Because it's scarier when you put it in the present. Yeah, totally. This is all maybe something that's happening now, if I think makes it much more techno thriller. And also the idea of like, maybe this already has happened and we just don't know about it. You know what I mean? Oh, oh man. <laughs> like, like, there's a lot of stuff we don't know, guys. My Alexa is blinking green ferociously over here. Stop talking. Stop it. You know, Manny's done so much research and is and is just the right person to write this show because he's he's so invested in it and, and knows the world so well. And also, is a great writer. You know, he 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 wrote up a really dynamic part for me and something that I was really excited to explore and had a chance to, to fight for and, and, and be able to be in front of the camera. Talk to us a little bit about the casting, how you came to the role of Ty Salazar. People love hearing how a sausage gets made. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It was, it, was, it was a typical you know, pilot season, which, which obviously I don't even know if is going to exist. But, you know, in pilot season, you just you just start getting tons and tons of, of scripts and auditions being sent your way. And it's about kind of picking and choosing which ones you want to go in. And, and if you're in, a, in the position I was in, you're like, fuck it, I'm going in for everything because I need to get work. <laughs> and uh, but it was but for me, this one really stood out just from reading the script because it was something I hadn't read. And I really loved the, the character. It was something I hadn't really seen, especially being a, a Latino. It was it was interesting to see a, a Latin man that was okay being the stay-at-home dad and that he was, he was really championing his wife to, to be the breadwinner and to also be okay with her being out there fighting to ultimately save the world as an, you know, badass FBI cybersecurity agent. And, you know, it was something I hadn't, I hadn't really seen and it was something that I was really interested in exploring because I think we need to normalize the fact that it's okay to be a man and to, and to be home raising the kids. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And obviously if I can play a role as a Latin man, um, that's okay with that at the same time, letting his wife shine. I think that was really important to me. And that was really, really present on the page. So when I read that, I was like, yeah, I definitely want to go in for this. And I'm not in a position in my career where I can just pick up the phone and be like, yeah, I'm done to have a conversation with the creator and talk about this character. Like, no, you know, you, you get what you get. And you go in and you get these six, seven little pages. Sometimes you don't even get the script. In this case, I did. And you kind of try and make up your own backstory. Coming onto this show in, in 2020 after kind of a, a, a long arc on how to get away with murder, what was it like going from playing Xavier on that show to here? Pretty different characters. You know, was it like a kind of a big adjustment period or just, you know, just another day, you know? It was really just another day. When, when you get a, a nice arc on a, on a show like that, it's, it's, it's incredible. But it's, you know, as soon as you're done, you're kind of done. It's not something that really lives with you. When you get to be a lead of a show, it's, it's completely different. You know, this is a character that I really, really gravitated towards. And, and ultimately, he's, 
he's very much a guy's guy and he's he's very much a, a regular a regular man he's not the bad guy he's not um not the superhero he's just he's just a dad that's fighting to keep his family together and take care of his son throughout the world of this show so yeah so as a latino to get a role like this you go in and you read for it and you see a lot of the guys that you're up against and you just got to kind of bring something to the to the table that's going to make you stand out and make you more real and believable. And I think that's what I did. And Manny and the and Fox and Disney gave me a shot, man. And here we are. Let's explore that a little bit. Just two episodes in, we don't have a lot on Ty, except for one very outstanding fact, which is that he is a Mustang man. But that also informs us that he's kind of a low-tech guy in this high-tech story. Is that important later on in the in the story in terms of defining his character or giving him something to do that matters to the, to the whole story overall. You know what, that was something that when I, when I read and kind of going into it, I was like, God, I wonder where this is going to take this character. Like, is he going to be a part of the team that kind of works to find a way to take this thing down, being the anti-tech guy? You know, ultimately, when you ask that, because there's a lot that happens in the pilot that we don't really get to, we don't really get to, to explore, and, 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 but it added a lot to the backstory of my character and as an actor to the work I bring to the, to the role. And you kind of see it in episode two and you kind of see it in episode one where you can tell there's some type of tension between Ty and Paul LeBlanc. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah. but like, why doesn't he like him? Why is he not a fan of, of Paul? Like what, like what has Paul done? And ultimately what we don't really get to explore is the fact that the reason why Ty is a stay at home dad. And the reason why Shay is the breadwinner is because Ty's been laid off. Ty has lost his job and his entire career due to the fact of LeBlanc's advancements in technology. That was so that's the reason why there's a bit of tension there and why he doesn't like them. But what we also don't know is that Ty is a recovering alcoholic. And you kind of see that in episode two, where Paul looks at him like you didn't go and drink some some beer when et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, I don't drink, you know. And in the pilot script that ultimately was was cut out. And I was bummed out when that happened because I was like, God, you know, that was some, that was an element of the character that I really wanted to play. Because even though he's a great guy and he's a great dad, you know, it's it's, it's a, you know. We're all flawed human beings, and that's what makes characters interesting, is the flaws we bring. You kind of explore it a tiny bit, and you kind of hear about it later on in the show, but, but it definitely added to my character and added to my backstory to know that this guy definitely has his demons, and this is why he doesn't like LeBlanc. Because if you just read it on the page, and you're like, well, why doesn't he like him? Like, why is he, you know, it's, it's kind of odd, but, but it definitely, it was, it was there, and I'm glad that we kind of covered it later on because you definitely understand the tension as to why he's not a fan of LeBlanc. And listeners to this podcast will now understand why the stink lines were <laughs> between the two characters. That's for sure. Well, I think Paul is kind of actually oblivious to it. You know, his money acts as a big shield for a lot of stink eye that people give him. But yeah, in episode two, especially in the, in the garage scene, he is, I mean, he's shooting some, some great daggers at Paul LeBlanc. And, and it's, it's great to, to know that kind of informed backstory. Yeah. And I think we see, you know, even when they pull up to the house, I think he's still kind of like, well, like, what are you, like, what are you doing with this guy? You know, like, why is he here? And, and there's no way I'm going to let him use our son, you know, for his benefit, you know, like, like I'm just not, it's, it's not something that sits well with Ty as father and as a husband either for his wife to be with this guy all the time. I mean, there was that great scene in the pilot where Paul calls Shay outside and Paul looks over her shoulder and says, your husband's in the window staring at us. It's John Slattery. And so he plays it, you know, with like a little bit of a laugh line, but yeah. also kind of like uncomfortable. You get the feeling that Paul LeBlanc probably cannot go toe to toe with Ty. He's very aware of the big guy standing in the, in the window staring at him talking yeah, to his wife. Yeah, 100%. And he, know, he knows that what he has above everybody and the fact that makes him so different is that he has different types of problems. You know, he's somebody that has so much money that the issues, the problems I have aren't problems he really cares about. One of the things that stood out for me watching next was it's this techno thriller. And clearly that's going to be the big draw for a lot of people to watch the show. But there are a lot of personal stories too. I mean, you know, Paul has his deteriorating mental capacity. He's got his relationship with his brother. But there's also a lot of tension and, and unspoken vibe between Shay and Ty. And obviously the stuff that Ethan, their son, is going through with Eliza and stuff he learns in episode two about maybe the problems 
Holmes and his parents' relationship. Is the personal story going to get explored more as the season goes on? Is that something fans can look forward to? 100%. You'll definitely start to learn a lot more. But yeah, we, we kind of understand a bit of the tension between Ty and Shay. And I think that was very well well played on, on the writer's part, how they explored that because there's, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to give it away, but they do a really good job <laughs> of, of, of making the family drama within the thriller world kind of be yeah. really important, you know, because it's also family drama between Paul and his daughter. It's also really, really important too. And what really stood out for me was that the Ty, Shay, Ethan role, like that little triangle was really the heart of the show. And in a world that was really so heightened and such a thriller and so technology kind of driven, you know, to go back to those scenes and kind of feel the family dynamic. And, and it was really beautiful for me to play that with Ethan throughout the show because it, it's kind of grounding. It grounds the show and it's, and it's really the heart of the show. Well, the show kind of spins the traditional family on its head by it has the mom out working, the dad at home, which is, you said it at the top, not something we see a lot on television, but there's also this kind of double standard at work where Shay has this guilt about being out in the field and maybe not being there for Ethan, maybe not being there for Ty, was the kind of reversed family dynamic a big thing that drew you to the role? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, th- I think I think the fact that it was okay to to try and try and explore a, a world where I think you know we live in a time where we should kind of normalize the fact that it's okay for for a dad to stay at home. It's okay for for a mother to be or the wife to be a breadwinner. I thought that was really interesting, and it was something I hadn't seen, especially in a Latin family dynamic. You know, we come from cultures that are very machistas and, you know, the man has to be the man of the house. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was really important for me to explore that and also, and also be a part of something that, you know, we could, we could put that on, on network television. It's, it's really cool. That's an interesting point. When you hear about the TV big brains talking about representation, I think they're usually talking about putting people that haven't had a chance to play certain roles in those roles. In my, I guess my skeptical mind, I think I hear women being doctors or something like that. Yeah. But but like you're pointing out from certain ethnic groups, having men in, in certain roles, that's new and different. And I hope that a lot of people key on to that when they watch this. And I think it's 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 about a, it's about a conversation also because I think like what you said it's it's what we want. I mean, we don't know if it's really what the big the big brains and and these big studios and ultimately like we want them to to do that for us. You know, those are the roles that we want, and those are the roles that we as Latin talent and actors and whether it's in front or behind the camera that we want to explore. What we don't want is is people to just check boxes. Right. It's got to be meaningful. It's got to be meaningful. Yeah. So to play this and 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 you know studio and the network has been has been really great in leaning into it and um and i think because because there's a lot of stuff that's not on the page that i was able to get away with and even speaking spanish on the show and and just the fact that that her character is from honduras and that my character without me even knowing and to be honest, I don't even know if it, if he is or not, but I think is from El Salvador because it wasn't really scripted. It's canon now. I mean, you said it. It's. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm just gonna say it. I mean, I'm gonna make him Salvadoran because I because on the fridge in the house there was a magnet from El Salvador, and I was like, well, she's she's definitely from Honduras, so I guess this magnet is my background. It's your it's your magnet. It's your identification magnet. It's, it's, it's my magnet. Yeah. So it was cool. It was cool that we could explore that, and also for me being from El Salvador. It's such a great coincidence, too, because National Hispanic Heritage Month just actually began this week. And actually, when this episode airs, it'll be towards the end. It's great hearing you talk about wanting that representation on television and then having a show like this on a major network, showing us that family, showing us that modern take on a family and normalizing it. Because I think you're right. It's it's something that should be shown more and, and there should be more roles about it, too. It's just a nice confluence yeah. of events that that's happening during the Hispanic Heritage Month. Thank you for sharing that and, and highlighting that as well because that's that's definitely important and Fox has done a really good job you know they've, they've done a great job just kind of leaning into that heritage month and and you know we did some interviews and some things like that and they've been posting about it so it's it feels good to be a part of a family where they're they're highlighting their Latin talent so are there anything else you think you share with with Ty or things that you bring that we don't see on screen but you know as you act him that matter to Ty that you bring as Gerardo I think for me the most important part is is the fact that Ty is Latino like I am Latino I think family and is such an important part of our lives and of our culture that I think that was something that and and, you know I have a a ton of similarities to Ty and there's a lot of Gerardo in Ty that that made it easy to to kind of explore but 
the family aspect and, and his love for his family and how he's willing to fight for his wife and, and his son and to take care of his son throughout this time, I think is, is something that I could really, really relate to. I'm not a parent, but I know what my dad would do in a situation like this or what any of my cousins who are parents would do and as, as men. Um, even as women, you know, I think ultimately we we become we become protectors of our family, and the family dynamic was what was really important. And I think I think it was something that we explored well, and 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 the writers explored very well. And Evan and I were really able to to kind of dive into together because we were kind of in this world together and exploring the characters of Ty and Ethan together, which was great because he's he's such a smart kid and such a talented kid, and and it was great to be able to to talk with him as almost an adult because we would talk about the scenes and have conversations about, about the scenes as, as if he was not a child actor, but as, as a straight up colleague with his mom there, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You have actually kind of a a non-traditional road to acting just reading through your bio. It's super interesting. And and if we could talk about it for a few minutes, I I just would love to learn a bit, a little bit more. So you're born in Miami, but you grew up in El Salvador And you went to college here in the States and have a degree in finance, I think I read. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's all. That's all true. Oh, and then I think (laughs) then you had your first acting role like the next year after you graduated. How, what, I mean, I know a lot of finance majors in my life. How did that translate into- They all became actors. Yeah, they they do all the accounting on the shows. How did acting come about for you? You know what, acting was something that I wanted to do since I was was really young. I I saw Top Gun when I was, when I was young in El Salvador and I was just, I was like Tom Cruise and that's that's what I want to do. I want to fly airplanes and I want to and I want to do that for my life. But I also came from from a very traditional Latino family with a family of entrepreneurs that like business was at the forefront. Um I it was it was kind of like an unspoken dream to be honest. It was it was very hard to kind of lean into that at a young age and kind of express my interest in the arts and in that world and you know there weren't many opportunities living in the country to whether it was drama programs or or going to classes or things like this. It wasn't really a thing back then. We have great theater now and they're doing a lot of stuff for the arts back home now. But for me, that just wasn't, it just wasn't really an option. To me, it was, I kind of had to get an education. I was lucky enough to, to go to SMU in, in Dallas, Texas and, and got a finance degree there. But as soon as I graduated, it was like, well, what's next? And I was like, I want, I want to try this. And my family supported me and they gave me a shot. I had to write my dad a business plan because I did go to school <laughs> and, and, I, and I got a degree in finance. So he was like, write me a business plan. Let me know how much this is going to cost me. <laughs> and yeah, I went out to LA in 2005. And I think maybe seven months later, I was cast I was cast on my first show. Uh, you were cast in, in Passions, correct? That, yeah. I mean, that's not just any show. You're, you make it sound like it was like a, like a Ron Popeil you know, infomercial overnight. I mean, that's, that was like a major right. deal. Like, no, it was ca- yeah, I was cast. I was cast in this, in this wonderful uh, daytime drama that, that, you know, ran a total of, I think, 10 years. But, um, and I got to play one character for two and a half years and ultimately changed my life. And it's kind of made me feel like this was something that I love to do and something that I could do. Like everything else has been ups and downs since, but man, it's been 15 years later and, and, and we're here and, as many pilots have I, as I've booked and I've shot and that haven't gotten picked up, like, you know, it's been 14 years and this is my first show that ultimately I'm a lead on that gets picked up and we shoot a full season. So this is a big, big deal for me. And I think it's going to hopefully inspire some other boy or girl in El Salvador to, to dream big. Does it feel like some kind of validation for you to look back at people now who would come up behind you and say you can do it? it you know, is that something you, you think about actually pretty consciously? Yeah, 100%. Ultimately, I, um, as much as I love doing what I do, and as much as this is my dream, I think this is the dream for so many boys and girls back home that, that ultimately can't talk about it or can't explore it and, or just really don't think they have a shot of doing it. And, and if I can be that, that, kind of, that kind of light and that kind of person that they can say, wow, you know, he was one of us and he went out there and did it and tried and, and made something of it, that's, that's all I can really dream. I love that. Taking another jump in the in the Wayback Machine there, you and I have a couple of very accidental things in common. Uh, one is that I used to live in Dallas and I've been to SMU. My, my sister's high school graduation ceremony was there. Oh, no way. It's a beautiful campus. It huh? is very nice. It's, uh, well, it's, it's so got nice. that private school Southern vibe <laughs> to it that, that feels well appointed. So I have a good feel for, the, for Dallas and I, I enjoy visiting that city. It's a great town. Some of my great friends are still there and, and people I keep in touch with. And, and yeah, it's, I mean, my college experience was, was incredible. 
I got so many fond memories. Another thing that we have in common is, is our birthday. I was born on April 8th. Amazing. You're in Aries. Yes, exactly. But anyway, back to next. Yeah, back to next. Well, one of the things, you know, I, I, I don't know that you have kids. I, I don't think you do. I don't have kids, no. But there, I think this is kind of a universal theme, whether you have kids or not. Tonight's episode deals with Ethan and his bullying and Eliza kind of goading him into taking his mother's gun, which gets planted at the end of the first episode. And then it kind of comes to a head in this episode. What did you think of that storyline and the idea that he might have been forced to bring a gun to school? It's a hot button conversation. It's sadly a very real yeah. thing that happens. And, and luckily he doesn't take the gun to school. He makes a good choice, Ethan does. But I'm curious as an actor on the show, what you thought about how the show kind of handled that whole plot. You know, it, unfortunately it's a, it's a real thing that happens in this oh, country. Oh yeah, yeah. Scarily so, and it's scarily too yeah, often. Yeah. Too often. I was surprised that they were willing to do that, that that was actually written and that Fox was going to be cool with yeah. it. You know, and it was one of those things that were like, are they really going to let us do this? We didn't know if, what was going to happen in episode two, if he was going to take her or not. But it's definitely something that, that's terrifying to think that some machine could give you the code to a, a gun safe. And that as a kid, you would think that this machine is your friend. But also bullying is terrifying. I only got to see the bullying when I got to pick them up at school right. and uh, you see them like throw the can and, and all this stuff. And it was so sad. Like even like me as a, as you know, as an actor, but also me as a person to see that. And it was, and it, you know, it's all fake. It's not even a real can. It's, yeah. but like, man, it hurts. It hurts to see when, that. Yeah. When they come in the bathroom in this episode, in tonight's episode, they come in the bathroom and, and he's just trying eating his lunch, which is the saddest thing ever, you know, just the fact that he's eating his lunch in, there eating is, his lunch in the bathroom is just a horribly sad thing for anyone to have to do at a school, you know, yeah. see it in different movies and stuff, but then they begin to attack him and throw garbage and trash on him. And I, you know, I have a 12 year old son. It, I'm constantly worried about bullying and, and what is happening to him when he's at school kind of thing. Yeah. And, and he goes to a pretty crunchy Montessori school. And so bullying is a pretty low risk there, but even then I'm still yeah. worried about it, but it was heartbreaking to watch that scene. And again, it's pretend I'm aware it's pretend, but it was still, it was so realistic in, in its depiction. It, it was a really troubling thing, a really sad thing to have to watch. He does a really great job of, of, of playing that part and, and doing it so well because he's, you know, kids are so emotional and they can, they just believe it when they're in it, you know? But yeah, it's heartbreaking to see that and to know that that's pretend here, but that that's the reality for, for many, many kids out there. Pivoting to a more lighthearted topic. Um, <laughs> how are, are you, uh, <laughs> are you, Harari? we're going to talk about drug addiction now in the country and what we can do to battle it. <laughs> right. I hope you brought oh, your ideas. Man. It's going to be great. Are you a, a very tech conscious guy in your everyday life, Gerardo? Oh, I love technology. Yeah, I love technology. I mean, my girlfriend makes fun of me because I'm on, constantly on YouTube looking at, at reviews of different things that I one day want to buy and which one I should buy. But everything, like iOS 14 dropped yesterday and I downloaded it immediately. Yeah, I did too. Just like, <laughs> you know, like... Um, Aries, early adopters, right? <laughs> oh, man. It's commonly the first thing you see in the, in the horoscope is, you know, you shall do your downloads today right. and updates. So. You, will, you will download a new app today. <laughs> I just don't think we can get around it. Like, there's no, there's no way to get around technology in our lives, which is why, like, this show, like, next is, like, you know, because, yeah, people are going to have conversations of, like, well, we're going to get rid of all the Alexis of the house, and, yeah, we're going to get rid of this. But, like, it doesn't matter how much you try and get rid of, like, it's funny because Aaron, one of the guys on our show who plays Ben, we just did a Zoom call the other day and he was talking about, he's like, you know, like I literally walked down the street and I noticed cameras everywhere. And I think it's because like just being in the world of this show, sure. like it doesn't matter if you put a tape over the screen of your computer and, and you cover up the mic and turn location on your phone off. They're like, no, there's cameras everywhere. You cannot go anywhere without being caught somewhere. It is virtually impossible. And yeah, and just the pervasiveness. I mean, it's hard to have a conversation in a room if you have a phone in a room and it, for it not to show up as an ad on, say, Facebook or targeted website surfing, you know, like the banners at the top will all of a sudden have a T-shirt about the thing that you're talking about you needed to buy, you know, like... You know, yeah. like this Black & Decker toaster is now on a t-shirt. You should buy the t-shirt. We know you want a toaster. <laughs> and, and it happens all the time. And it, it's, it's a little scary. So, I, I, you know, piggybacking on Paul's question, we're big tech guys. We're, we're, we're always with our phones and our toys and this and that. 
does working on a show, watching a show like this make you more Technology aware? failed us today a little bit, though. Well, it did. Uh, it, yeah. It did. Yeah. I feel betrayed, actually. Does working on a show like this like make you more wary of, of it? Do, do you stop and think, do I need this extra thing? Do I need another camera in my life or another Alexa or anything like that? Yeah, I think about that stuff all the time. But at the same time, I'm fully aware that that, that I live a pretty boring life that, like... <laughs> to, like, like like it's not that interesting that I'm worried about what people are listening to or like possibly, you know what I mean? Like I do think about it. I do think about it, you know? And like my dad, for example, like doesn't have anything, doesn't have Instagram, doesn't have Facebook, doesn't have like, doesn't have any notification on his phone. Like if I call him, he has to have his phone. Like he has to be looking at his phone to know that it's ringing. Yeah. That my dad's not into tech that way. Yeah. yeah. It's a generational thing. It's, a, it's definitely a generational thing for sure. But yeah, it's crazy. Like I think of like you know kids now. Like I don't know if your twelve year old has a cell phone yet. Oh but, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, I can't. I can't imagine what school is like. And that's you know like just seeing the stuff that they have access to on the phones and and it's a constant just, battle keeping up with the yeah. apps that he puts on his phone and what he's watching. And you know when, when I get a handle on YouTube, all of a sudden now I have to watch TikTok. You know, and and everything yeah. he's watching on TikTok. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. it never ends. But I'm really excited to, for you guys to kind of, I don't know how many episodes you've seen of the show, but I'm really excited for you guys to see the journey because at the end of episode two is kind of where the show like fully takes off. And then episode three is where, where it kind of just slaps you in the face and you're like, what is happening? That's the whole turn. Episode three is the one that's going to really hook you and, and you ultimately see the ride that Ty and, and Ethan go on. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Gerardo baiting a hook for everyone to keep tuning in. That's what I'm talking about. That's that's how you get people tuning in, you know? I'm trying to get my guest hosting duties locked in, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we've got a guest lined up for three, but you come back for four. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys so much for having me. I don't know if there's... I, if there's... I, I think we just got well, like, one more question, and then... Uh, then yeah, 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 of we, course. We've, already, we've kept you literally, like, six hours of your day today, I feel like, so... Well, um, we're only two episodes in, so this question may not work out, but within what we know, I guess, do you have any favorite moments from working on the show? Hopefully it's you oh, and John man. Slattery getting into a rap battle. Fingers crossed. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> That's episode 11. You'll see that in episode Yes! yes. Wow. I, bet, I bet he spits um, fire. <laughs> yeah. He's great. He's great. I think my favorite moments of the show came from I mean, we, had, we, had, we just had such a great set. Chicago was so great. We had such an amazing crew. Everybody was so great. I think the moments that I, that I remember the most, that first of all, when I wasn't cold, because I was on location a lot and it was fucking freezing in Chicago during the winter. But if I look back, I'm like, every moment is great because it's, it's my first series that I got to shoot, be a, a lead on and I got to shoot the whole series and everybody's going to be able to watch it. And I think for me, every moment was just a dream come true, man. I think that's a pretty good damn answer. I don't think you have to really overthink it much more than that, you know? So <laughs> yeah, dream, dreams, coming, dreams coming true is always a good answer. <laughs> yeah, man. It's great. It's great. If fans want to follow you on social media, let, let's lean into the tech. Where, where should they follow you? Where can they interact with you? Twitter, Instagram. I, you already mentioned Instagram. I think uh, that you like it. So I'm not on Facebook, but I do, I do like Twitter and I do like um, Instagram. And it's um, just my name, Gerardo Celasco. G-E-R-A-R-D-O-C-E-L-A-S-C-O. Follow him, uh, follow Gerardo and get the scoop on, on next as it goes through the season. Gerardo, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk with us. Sorry, we had so many tech issues and it literally, I mean, it was daylight out and now night is falling here in New York. So uh, oh, wow. <laughs> it's not, not, not it's that quite extreme, but it's getting there. Um, thank you so much for, for spending time and talking to us about episode two and talking about next and, and, and coming out and hanging out with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for being my first. That was We'd great. We'd be glad to have you back anytime you want. <laughs> Come. we'll be your second and third if you let us so okay amazing amazing all right guys thank you so much stay safe and uh and thank you for having us and for and for ultimately for just highlighting the show man i think it's 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 definitely says something when there's people like you guys that want to talk about the show after every episode i think it's awesome oh, i mean i thank you for putting it you know for putting in the work and, and making something worth watching that we want to cover and want to talk about and promote so it's our pleasure you know. thank you so much you guys stay safe. Man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much to Harar Salasco for all the time. You know, we had uh, some fun technical hiccups during that interview. So he actually ended up spending a lot of time with Paul and me 
Uh, so I, I really, you know, I think we both really appreciate him kind of having a good humor about it. And it was a great conversation. There was a good, a lot of uh, great talk about representation, which is so important, especially right now we're in the middle of uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. I thought it was really interesting to get his take on Ty and on the show as a whole. And I like that he dropped like secret information of things that had gotten cut because I think it explains his relationship with Paul LeBlanc so much more clearly. I'm so glad we got to bring him to you, our listeners. I sure hope that stuff is canon because it helps make a lot of that stuff make sense. Uh, and for the eagle-eared listeners, he actually dropped a little bit of information which will help shed a little light on next week's episode. <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. You're listening to the Conversations with Eliza, the next podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Conversations with Eliza on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave us five stars. It makes Apple Podcasts really like us and makes us really like you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.